Welcome to The Row Show. We're your hosts, Lawrence Britton and Jake Green. And in this podcast, we're going to go into everything related to sport and performance. And we're also going to talk a little bit about rowing. South Africa. It brings people together, it breaks down barriers. My passion winning to be the best. Being the best is something we strive for. It's a crucial role in South Africa. Passion. Great. Passion. Fiction. Ultimate goal. Glory. Relentless training. Pain. Pain. <laughs> Hello, ladies and gents, and welcome to part two of our banging episodes with Hamish Bond. As always, it's myself, Lawrence Britton, and with me. It's Jake Green, and uh, this is part two of Hamish Bond, and I think another uh, epic interview. And uh, this part is uh, the juicy bit where we talk about, you know, the Tokyo 2020 Olympic Games. Uh, that would definitely be the pivotal um, part of the episode. And I think, you know, an interesting story. You know, Hamish he did a, was very active after Rio and with cycling and the transition back into New Zealand, Aiton, and getting involved in this campaign was, you know, uh, very interesting to talk about. Yeah, and I just think like, I mean, we already spoke to Michael Brake about this eight and, and then hearing Hamish's kind of input was just eye-opening and also just showing the the quality and the kind of just how impressive the their system and their athletes were to make this eight happen. You know, um, I think that for me is incredible. And also his cycling journey. I mean, it's something that you brush over, but it's it's a huge part of the story and it's a huge part of his like athlete journey. And I think without the cycling element, he would never have, um, or maybe it would have been harder for him to, to come back and, and make that eight work. And yeah, I really loved the part where he speaks about how, uh, two hour rowing sessions were pretty easy after he'd done like the seven hour bike sessions that, uh, he needed to do when he was trying to, to be a cyclist. I thought that was quite, a, quite impressive. Ladies and gentlemen, have you guys checked out the World Masters Championships that are being held in 2023? This one is quite special because for uh, Lawrence and myself, it's being held in South Africa. And what an incredible opportunity to come uh, visit a, a, a great venue of rowing and a, and, and a great culture of rowing. And I know you know how important the, the, the Masters rowing community is and is involved in the sport, especially now from starting the podcast. I think it's an it's incredible part of the sport that maybe – uh, get needs to get a bit more attention and i think what a beautiful event to to come be a part of and a great opportunity to go look at the 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 tourist uh options available around the country so go check it out it's going to be an incredible opportunity lawrence and i are going to be there in certain in many different capacities so that's also going to be awesome to engage with the 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 people we meet there yeah i mean depends on how well our other rowing goes we might be racing there. <laughs> I, I don't know um and what th what that has in store, but we'll definitely be around, and we'll definitely have like a meet and greet with all our our listeners that uh, come through. And I know a lot of our patreons are are masters rows and uh, really get into it. So I think you know that's pretty awesome. Jake, aren't your your parents? They're going to be racing there for the first time in in their lives. Yeah, definitely. So um, it's going to be it's going to be a crazy event, and very uh, looking forward to it. And we encourage our listeners out there to to have a look. And cool guys, let us know. Send us any messages and go share the show, please. Tell your friends about it. Tell uh, tell someone that that hasn't heard about the Row Show about it. Grow, help us grow and and help us to to become a better show. And otherwise, you can go support us on Patreon. We have an amazing community on on Patreon where we discuss all things rowing and uh, we really get into some technical discussions every now and then 
and you can listen live to our episodes uh, through Patreon and you get to ask questions for to the guests. So yeah, we'd love to to see you guys there and otherwise enjoy. Yeah, and so you know, moving moving on, Hamish. I mean, it would be a little bit amiss not to, to brush um, upon your your you know your experiences uh, cycling in 2017 and 2018. Uh, so I'd be interested to you know chat to you a little bit about that journey, how it kind of started off. I'm sure you wanted a bit of a break post 2016, um, and I remember reading some articles. It sounded like you know you wanted to go to Tokyo. And it seemed like, you know, you were open to going in on the bike and you're also open to going into rowing. Yeah, like I've been thinking about it for um, for a while. I think I just, even in that 2016 season, I needed something to get me through, you know, like to, to mm. have a, not a plan, but just have, I guess, dreams, I suppose, about, um, you know, something. And I had, I tossed up a couple, like I, I, don't, I'm, I don't know if you've heard of it, but there was this bike race called the Tour de Afrique which is basically start in Cairo and ride to Cape Town. And um, a family friend of my in-laws had had done it. So they had this book about it. And I was like, oh, yeah. So I'd been thinking about that a bit. But then my wife was like, uh, you've just been away for three months. You're not going to go bike through Africa for another three months straight after the Olympics. So I sort of put that one to bed. And then um, I thought, oh, maybe I'll just, yeah, not go full – (laughs) <laughs> full off the deep end um but yeah we have a i guess it's coming into the new zealand summer after the, the olympics and i just thought um we have a a semi pro oh, it's not yet, it's probably it's an amateur race here it's called the tour of southland and it's a hard race and it's in the south of the south island and it's in oh, late winter spring sort of time so you, you can get freezing you can get sleet snow it's just rough and so it's quite a hard. It's it's really it's a really challenging race, and you'll get international pros come over and be like, "Oh, I was not <laughs> prepared for that sort of thing." So I was like, "I'd actually done it once before in 2009 after a, after our world champs. We'd been cycling a bit um, because uh, world champs were obviously late that year at Lake Carapiro, so it was going to be a really long season. So Dickon is surprising wisdom well not surprising but um surprising leniency it was like oh just go biking for a month or you know do something different otherwise it's going to be a really long season and um i was, I was like oh well i'll go into the tour of southland and i managed to end up end up finding myself at 21 years old like zero experience on a team with five olympic cyclists um five other olympic cyclists so mm-hmm. way out of my depth but really good guys um like Sam Bewley still rides professionally for Bike Exchange. Um, we had a yeah, sort of grizzly, bit of a, here's a great dude, Glenn Chadwick, who was an older pro, had been bounced around Europe and America, and a couple of um, New Zealand um, team pursuit riders. So that was a pretty cool experience, but I was way out of my depth. Like I was unfit in terms yeah. of my general training. Um and just suffered, absolutely suffered. I've never suffered like that in my life. I don't think, I hope I never do again. But yeah, just doing a tour at 90 kilos unfit, probably did more Ks in the tour than I did in preparation for the tour. And that's not <laughs> the, way, the way you want to do it. Um, so and I was plus, quite keen to go the, back. And the weight must have been something, a new element that you had to get used to. I'm sure you, I mean, you're not obviously the, the biggest heavyweight from a rowing perspective, but the, 
there's quite a big change up from a cyclist's uh, physiology in terms of the weight compared to heavyweight rowers. Yeah, well, I started so I started that transition at the Olympics, which is pretty. I guess in hindsight, it's pretty A type. It's pretty out there. Yeah, but um, <laughs> yeah. So you guys will know the floor. The food at Rio wasn't <laughs> great, so it was it was easy to to skip lunch and be out. You know, like walking up Christ Redeemer or you know something like that. So I basically end up skipping lunch, and um, I think I was down to like eighty four kilos by the time I left Rio. That's crazy. Um, and I know it's not smart. And in hindsight, but so my I, my logic at the time was I'm not I'm going to be cycling for a few months. If I want to be competitive, I got to lose some weight. So I'll just crash crash the weight. Um, and I didn't really think about it, and it was also novel. It was quite easy um, in that as a rower, I'd more or less been force feeding myself for ten <laughs> years trying to hold my weight up. You know, like I'd always struggled to to put to hold my weight. Uh, particularly to match Eric. Um, so to flip that out, it was, it was novel. It was like, oh, I don't have to force feed myself. I don't, I don't even have mm. to eat. <laughs> and so I lost yeah, the weight quite thinks, quickly. If one thinks being a lightweight is hard, but it's actually being a heavyweight and having to eat so much, that's the <laughs> Oh, the I wouldn't challenge. go that far. You're on <laughs> dry. Yeah, it was novel to start there. It was novel to start with, but I can assure you, if you have to choose between the two, having to force feed yourself is a lot easier than being hungry. Yeah. Um, so I, I, yeah, I ended up crashing weight quite quickly, like way too quickly to be healthy. Um, and within probably three months of the Olympics, I was under 80 kilos, about 80 kilos. So I lost probably eight or nine kilos from not, like you say, obviously not a big frame to start with. So I was pretty lean, and I went pretty well at the Tour of Southland. Like I was really competitive, just super tactically unaware. But my main goal in cycling, I wanted to do the national time trial champs. So mm. bunch racing, I wasn't super into, um, just because, like you, you to be really successful, I think you've got to, if you you've got to have done it from a young age and be super tactically aware, and and it's just not the rowing. You know, to sit back and hide from work is not the rowing mentality. So I'd always just find myself on the front, just slogging myself for no apparent reason and to the absolute annoyance of my teammates. um, Mm. It's just doing work for the sake of doing work. Uh, Whereas, you know, in a time trial, obviously, it's just you against the clock and it's how aero you can get and how hard you can pedal so that was that was what i wanted to achieve and i got third at the national champs and man it's just like an onion in a a different sport there's so many layers to peel back and you know you think you're dialed in i thought i was pretty dialed in at that national champs uh, sort of three or four months after starting cycling i mean i've seen video of that compared to what i was like two years later at world champs i was like i was (laughs) like you're rocking all over the bike You're you're sitting up in the air like a like a like a sail um so uh, yeah certainly i just i sort of got a, a taste for it and i really enjoyed it i enjoyed the um variety of training um yeah out on my bike i had it, it was a massive shift like you say challenges in terms of being fully in a squad every decision more or less made for you and the rowing team to being completely on my own there was no no pathway no no real like I 
our rowing physiologist has an Ironman background, um, Dan yes. Plews. I know Eric spoke about him a bit. So he was yeah. helping me with, with a program. Um, and yeah, I was just every, there was, it was completely virgin bush, you know, like I, every, every step that I made was my own and it was unprecedented in my approach. So my, my approach yeah. was to basically apply a rowing model to cycling time trialing where, you know, I, I couldn't, at that stage of my life, I wasn't, people going, oh, to be successful, you have to join a, you know, go through the motions and join a pro team and get on the tour, you know, like do European yes. tours and all that. I was like, yeah, sure. But I'm 30 years old and I've got a kid coming along. I'm not going to go relocate and join a pro team in Europe. It's just yeah. not feasible and I don't want to do it. So I'm going to try and apply a rowing model that I'm familiar with to this. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, like, and that was so refreshing, I suppose, again, to lose that baggage of expectation and pressure that I had in rowing to just being, you know, like, although I came with, I suppose, a reputation as an athlete, you know, like there was, there was, there was very little expectation on me in terms of performance. Um, and then did, I mean, you had some amazing results on the bike and I mean, you really got stuck into it. I mean, the, the third at the, the Commonwealth games is, is definitely a, a huge highlight of your of your career to have gone from rowing and then you know uh two years later to be you know thugging it on the bike um but then and then when did your shift come back to rowing like when did you start to think okay no you know i'm enjoying the cycling thing but you know there's there's another opportunity in the in the boat yeah so 2018 i did the world champs in austria um and came 23rd like i'd had a I'd had a pretty good build-up. I'd started working with an American coach who coached the female world champion, Jim Miller. I had, and that was, you know, I, again, like opened my eyes to another whole new world of professionalism. I'd been doing altitude training in Colorado, just all the stuff that I'd mm. never done as a rower. Um, so I'd, I'd given it a pretty good go. And like I had a, ter- a bad crash in Austria about two weeks before the Worlds went over the bonnet of a car that pulled out in front of me. And that was uh, an experience like... Um, so different from rowing so i was basically at an altitude living up the top of a mountain in austria and training low by myself completely by myself no support um and i'd gone over the bonnet of this car they'd called an ambulance taken me to a hospital i've been through these tunnels in austria i had no idea what city i was in i had been taken to a different town completely by myself in my cycling gear get discharged walk out of the hospital in austria (laughs) and like i've in my cycling gear, sweaty sort of half cut up cycling gear from going over the bonnet of the car. And I've got my phone. I'm like, Oh God, right. I've got to work out where I am. Got to, my bike's in two pieces at the local police station. And it was just so different. You just wanted to sit on the curb and cry. And it was just (laughs) like, it's like I'm here for world champs. And it was just so marked how different it would have been. Say if I was in a rowing team where like if that had happened or something similar, you know, like the alarm bells would have gone off and have support here, support there, they're calling these people, calling these doctors. Um, but yeah, I had to pick myself up, get a 150 euro taxi back to my car, drive down to police station, pick my bike up in two pieces, drive back up to my altitude base, like just limping around. Oh, it was just a such a disaster. Terrible um, experience, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. Or just, yeah, just like that, you just wanted to sit down and cry, but if you didn't put the next step in front of like, it was just going to, no one was going to do it for you. Like it was literally, you got to keep going because no one's here. 
Um, so that was, yeah, interesting. Um, but following on from that, I did feel as though I had a pretty good go at the 2018 World Champs, but ended up coming 23rd, I think. Um, so I did close to like 440 watts average for an hour and five minutes, which if you've been on a Concept 2 bike, you'll appreciate pedaling pretty hard. Yeah. Um, and especially when you've got hills involved and you're doing 480 watts and then four, you know, like that's average. Um, so I felt like I'd given a pretty good account of what I was capable of, but I was still, I think, two and a half minutes behind Tom DeMoulin. Um, and also, probably more importantly, Paddy Bevan is a New Zealand cyclist who got eighth that year. And um, there's only one spot for New Zealand at the Olympics. So I was like, well, Paddy's a pro, he's got all the wall, resources, yeah. and he's on the up. So, you know, like this, this is going to be it. So my opportunity was to go on the track which i did for about three months um and yeah again self cycling new zealand were really helpful um got some great coaching um won the won the national individual pursuit and i think it was i was like at that point i was about the 10th or 11th fastest person ever in an individual pursuit on my third go so you know like i was tracking pretty good but the leap to the team pursuit was just so meteoric in, in terms of eight months before the Olympics. Like it's one thing riding around a circle at 60 odd Ks an hour by yourself. Like that's yeah. okay. I could get my head around that, but riding around at 65 Ks an hour, an inch from someone else's wheel with yeah, no brakes. That is difficult. So it, it became mentally draining just being so far out of my comfort zone every day. And I found the training quite hard as well because it was just a lot of it was just particularly when I came into the pursuit, like the cycling team was just really full gas. So just one minute efforts, max out and then rest. And I didn't actually enjoy that training that much. I don't think anyone mm. does, but, um, you know, that more sustained training, uh, longer pieces is, is I find more enjoyable. So I basically came to a crossroads and was like, do I want to do this? Like I either retire, I go back to rowing or I try and make the team pursuit team. So I was too scared to retire. I wasn't really enjoying what I was doing on the track. Um, so it was basically, yeah, go back to rowing and work out what it was. Um, and yeah, it was quite a simple choice. Like the eight was something that we'd always talked about um, previously as being motivating and something that we'd want to do. Um, and I looked around the squad and I was like, you know, there's obviously that group of guys that had done well um, at under 23s and had been there or thereabouts on occasion. And I genuinely thought, well, I'll come in and if I can get them to do what Eric and I did or show them what we did in the pier, you know, like good things will happen. Um, I didn't come in too bull you know, like too much like a bull. I, I, and I also mm. got Mahe involved because he was uh, struggling with his single um, against Robbie. So he, I think he was out of his seat at that point. Um, like they'd already had national trials and Mahe wasn't in the single. So he was looking for a, a, a boat and I said, oh, look, let's do the eight. Um, and I, I kind of took a back seat initially because – I wanted to prove myself, prove to myself that I could get back up to speed as a rower. Mm. Um, and then uh, before I sort of started trying to imprint, um, you know, myself, I guess, on the, on the team. But, yeah, it was yeah. a 
a long process. Yeah, no, it was it was a long process, and obviously the first year, twenty nineteen, was maybe a little bit bumpy. Uh, quite a you know a really tough result to take at, at World Champs, and I'm sure for someone like yourself, it was you know maybe a, a, a new experience coming you know coming off uh, second base in a, in a tight result. But like you know to move to move away from that, you know your how did your technique change going into the eight and maybe did your approach to training also change a little bit because you know you, you're in now in a big team environment i think you uh in the pair it's so intimate and like each person has got like such a big role in terms of defining you know you have 100 percent control of stroke side the other person has 100 percent control of bow side it's much more intimate whereas in eight they're like seven other guys cox a huge coach and then the support team around it is massive so I'm sure it must be incredibly different. <clears throat> so how did your, you know, what technical changes did you find yourself making and like did the approach to training change a little bit too? Um, yeah, so multifaceted question. Um, in terms of my approach to training, um, I I quickly sort of realized I have to become more, I don't know what the word is, forgiving, less demanding. Mm. Um, I took uh, uh, I'd taken for granted what Eric could do, which is obvious, really, in hindsight. You know, like he's probably he's one of the best ergers of all time. He's gonna have you for saying that. <laughs> yeah, but like I mean, Eric was incredibly consistent and incredibly um, had massive motivation. And yeah, you put a session in front of Eric, and he'll be like, "Sweet." I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. it was never any quib. Yeah, and um, and that was a shift in terms of just yeah being more accept. Like the guys just couldn't do the numbers that Eric and I, what I expected, I suppose, of an international level crew. Um, so that that was a we certainly evolved, but when I initially came in, that was the case. Um, so I sort of had to lower my expectations, um, and. Yeah, just become more accepting of different, you know, more voices. And I don't think I struggled with that too much. Like I would speak up when I felt valuable, but I, you know, obviously, you know, no one realized that if everyone's feeling as though they're engaged and having input, you know, they're going to be far more um, involved and give give more of themselves. So um, didn't want to over... My main philosophy in the training was just to try and set an example physically, you know, like my aim was to be... Set an example, you know, like if I'm first, it's good for my, it's good for me, it's good for the boat, it makes me feel good, and it gives them something to target. So if there was a session that could be in any, in any way turned into a competition, then I'll go for it and and try and set a benchmark. Um, and in terms of technique, yeah, I I, I don't know if it was arrogant, um, but I I genuinely thought I know how to row. Copy paste, yeah, 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 like. Come by out, like jump on, let's go. <laughs> Just do mm. what I do, um, and that was what it came. My big issue, not issue, but um, conundrum, which I still haven't solved. Quite chicken egg was obviously I, I started off trying to do what I did and we did in the pier in terms of rowing, and I don't know, and I still don't know. Was um, could I not achieve that in the eight because? Or did it not work in the eight because that fundamentally that philosophy, which I can 
elaborate on um, doesn't work in the eight or could I not get the guys to understand and get enough of them to do it with me to make it mm. harmonious and work? So, you know, was it the fact that the other guys couldn't do it or was it the fact that it fundamentally didn't work in terms of uh, uh, the way to row an eight? So I tried for, geez, probably like a year and a half almost to, to um, get the eight rowing more like we did in the pier. Um, and I tried going in stroke seat and particularly for a decent period in 2019 and it went appalling like terrible um yeah i was tying myself in knots i was sort of yeah lost yeah really lost my like my confidence went the crew was going terrible um so at that point i just started moving down the boat i mean like six seat oh it's a bit better four seat bit better let's try two seat and you can't go any further to the bow than that so um what i found was when i was in two seat um it actually felt like a lot more like the pier and obviously i was comfortable with that and um found that far more for my for my uh to my to my ability you know rowing in two seat was was far more comfortable you know up in the stern it just felt numb like you're pushing a barge or you know trying to row a barge down the um down the lake whereas in the bow it felt far more alive and i felt far more in tune with with the rhythm um but still trying to develop for a long time even when i was in two seat you know a peer style and it wasn't until geez probably two like a month we had mo again we had the challenge for us was that we didn't have anyone in the crew who had ultimately like done won a gold medal in an eight, um, uh, you know, done a world record. Yeah, no, no one had anything to go. Okay, this is the way you do it. This works. You know, follow me. So we were throwing a lot of mud at the wall, trying to see what sticks. Mm. In terms of, we didn't go too crazy. Like we had our fundamentals which we wanted to focus on, but um, in terms of really trying to make it work, we we definitely threw around a, a lot of ideas um and it probably wasn't until yeah last month or two that we really started to hit on something we're like okay this is it and we don't know we i don't i still don't i don't know if this is the optimum way to row an eight but i think given the time period <laughs> we have until out. tokyo this is what we have to do like this is our best chance of getting the best out of this crew for the next two months is to row like this so we started honing in on that more and more and getting it, it tighter and tighter in the build up to Tokyo. So mm. I can, I'll elaborate on it a little bit. Um, in terms of the technique, I find like Eric and I were far more cyclical in the way that we rode. Um, our philosophy was just tap, get the boat up to speed and then just tap, tap, tap it along. Mm. Um, like not interrupt the rhythm. Um, but I found in the eight, that because the boat's going so fast if you try and row that style even though i'm quick on it at the front um you almost need to have this it's more like one stroke one stroke like whereas in the pier i felt like it was just like tap 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 just just metronome back and forth back and forth like just keep it going keep it going keep it going mm. whereas in the eight that just whenever we sort of tried that it would just feel skiddy and you know, like no one was connected and i think it's because of the speed of the boat 
unless you're really prepared for that catch, the boat's going so fast that your you know your oars at square off before you actually get any. And there's so much momentum and speed that the oars yeah. square off before you really get any pressure in behind it. And mm. then you don't build that momentum. So then it's heavier than next stroke and you're just, you know, like you're always sort of chasing your tail. Um, whereas what we started to develop and Mike talked it about, about it a little bit, I think with you guys, um, if you wanted to replicate what we did, I would say we didn't actually do this, but one way to replicate it would be to row in fours or sixes and do power strokes and then join in as an eight. So mm. if you're doing like power strokes at say 24, 26 rating, rating and you're just trying to reef on it and take a little bit of time up the slide and then just reef on it again and then you join in hole eight and everyone just reefs on it and you know you get that massive yeah. that massive so boat run. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then you basically have to develop enough fitness and coordination to do that at a relative, you know, like a high enough rate. So mm. we we typically try to do what we've done in the pier and other New Zealand eights have done and row almost close to 40 strokes a minute. But we found that we just could not row that effective stroke at that higher rating. Um, we needed to give it time and prepare. And to me, yeah, it felt like, the difference, another way of talking about the difference, I feel like we rode the pier in a fashion that feels like a row perfect or Eric and I rode on the dynamic concept too a lot. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's just that continuous, like you get to the front and boom, you hit it. Whereas in in the eight, to me, it felt almost more like rowing a static concept to erg where you've got to change, you know, like it takes time around the front of a concept to static because yeah. you have to sh- slow your whole boat, you know, slow your body down and then change direction and go back the other way. So no one has that instantaneous application of pressure because you have to actually slow yourself down and go back the other way. Um, and that was, that to me is, is kind of the feeling. And then, so yeah, the final, um, the rapid charge, we missed it in the heat and went back to the skiddy sort of style um some of our races and and really we had a real key session in between switzerland and um tokyo where we did i think five or six 2k runs at change rate against the women's eight and the women's eight were it's been spoken about was a big benchmark for us in terms of prognostics and um just consistency yeah. they were really consistent especially when <laughs> kerry and grace were involved yeah and typically when kerry and grace were involved you know like they beat us by two percent or something and then and they they called that the black eight and then their silver eight when they had the reserves and you know they would we could beat them occasionally they'd, they'd usually just beat us on prognostic a little bit um, but we went out against the Black Eight with Kerry and Grace, who were just the absolute benchmarks of of our whole program for since I came back from from mm. cycling. Um, and yeah, we did change rates, maybe like one row, at, one at twenty four, then twenty four middle, twenty six, something like that. So yeah, it was building up to about thirty two, thirty four. Maybe it was like open rate for the last five hundred or something. I can't quite remember, but. We just, I don't know what it was. Everyone just woke up on the right side of the bed and we just sent it. You know, like there was a lot of yah-yah in the eight. Like I'm not a big rah-rah guy, but I went full rah-rah. And um, <laughs> yeah, everyone was just reefing on it. And we were at a right time in our program where we were like fit enough and 
fresh enough to just really attack that session and having that capped rate you know you're able to give it time like absolutely reef on it in the stroke and still give it time on the slide and we were able to take it up the rates and and that session was uh, one that we really went back to uh building into tokyo was trying to replicate that feeling because in that i think we beat the woman's eight with Kerry and grace like five out of six times or something and and those pieces are like okay there's got to be something something working here yeah 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 and and yeah that's where i don't know if it's the best way to row an eight but it was it was a way way that we could all identify with yeah we could all identify with it and and get on the same page and then i'd love it Hamish, just, I mean, you, we, we, we have to chat to you about your, your experience racing that final in the eight. I mean, it was, I feel like it was your, that, that eight that rode in, I feel like that was your guy's magnum opus, that, that performance there in the, in the final. It was absolute sublime. And I said to Michael that you, you know, you don't see it often in the eights, but, you know, New Zealand obviously has, you know, and you did, you showed it in the pairs that, that's such a, such a strong third 500. And then, it came through again in the eight. So I'm interested to hear, you know, what, what was it like there in the two seat? Like, you know, and I could see you were pulling bloody hard. You could even see the, you know, you were sending it proper. So it must have been one hell of an incredible ex- experience going up against such a, you know, established boat class against crews like GB and Germany and, uh, you know, the Netherlands and coming away with the win. Yeah, um, like Mike spoke about it a bit. We sort of developed this attitude of, um, you know, like we want to win, but we don't, you know, like we don't, we don't need, need to. to win. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think was really beneficial for our group in terms of not getting too wound up. And I guess it helped, you know, like we'd been through the ripper charge, we weren't f- favorites, um, but we had a belief in our own ability. Um, and that's where it came, it came back to, like when we put that eight together, um, I had a I had a real belief that on paper it made sense. Um, like we had an average erg of something like five forty seven at an average weight of ninety one or ninety two kilos. Mm. Like physiologically, we were a good crew. I, mm. I feel like one of the best. Um, yeah, maybe the British were a bit stronger in terms of ergs, but I reckon they were probably five or six kilos average, you know, heavier Heavy. as well. So I was like, power to weight. I reckon we're the, we'll be the best crew out there. Um, and yeah, it was just about working out how to actually get that, get that, express that on the water. And that was what I was, I guess, talking about earlier. So having that sense of, um, you know, we are a good crew. We do have the ability to win this. Um, and, and just finally working out, I think everyone in their own minds, what we're going to do, you know, how we're going to row. And it comes back to that what I was talking about with the pair and the four, um, you know, not not necessarily knowing what you're going to be doing after 250, after 500 meters, like how it's going to feel, what you're going to be doing. And mm. then the repercharge, charge, we sort of got a trial run at it and then we were able to do it in the final and be like, we knew what we were going to do and we didn't care if it didn't work. We were going to do it anyway, you know, mm. and and that was, and that was what we did. And then once you get, you know what it's like in a race, once you get your nose in front, it's like blood in the water <laughs> and and yeah the the rah-rah comes up and you get a bit of self-belief and it just stops hurting as much so it didn't it wasn't a super it wasn't a super painful race for me um i think a lot of the guys were were similar but i just felt in that style that we started rowing 
it didn't you knew like you and you can see like i can see me like reefing on it as hard as yeah. i can that's what it looks like i'm it's very i felt clear. like i would take time <laughs> i felt like i was taking time on the slide like i wasn't rushing in i felt controlled i had time to change direction put my aura in and then i just yeah. jump on it like as hard as i can and i swing back and i just pull um or push and then pull or both everything at the same time essentially um yeah. and yeah when you're like going down the course and go, I am reefing on it and I feel good. <laughs> um, yeah. it's, a, it's an immensely powerful position and, and I didn't have that. I didn't ever, I never really, didn't really have that in the pier. Like obviously we had races where clearly dominant, but it was a different feeling, you know, like and just in the style that we were rowing because we didn't row like that. And I don't think, I don't think that would work in a pier. I, I think that's yeah. what a lot of crews do, but that's how they I, well, row. And it's just real stop start, you know, and that's where you see yeah. a pier going along a like, in the boats but you've got so much momentum in an eight that i think you can roll like yeah. that and without slowing it down i was just about to say like the the pairs like i mean i, I was talking about like how intimate earlier and that you can't afford to it's like similar to a skull you can't afford to just kind of um hack at it or, or swing back nah. so aggressively because the disruption that an individual makes to the boat if you yeah. start doing stuff like that is, is huge ramifications for boat speed Whereas in the eight, you know, I mean, uh, I'm not quite sure how it works, but I mean, from from what I can gather, it's like a completely, it's probably as further as far as you can get from your experience rowing in a pair yeah, to like was, racing a competitive eight. It was hard for me because I was I wanted to finesse it, you know, like I felt we were, <laughs> we were, yeah. Uh, I mean, you debate what we did in the pair. Like we were obviously physiologically really strong, but I still felt like we tried to finesse it. That was certainly yeah. our focus, whether we, whether people perceived it that or not, that was what we tried to do. And I thought that's what you have to do in an eight. Like we have to row, row nice, be delicate. But by the time we got to Tokyo, delicacy was out the window. We're like, and the, just just reef on it and do it together. And that was mm. basically all we did. And then, mm. I mean, your fourth Olympic Games, and then third Olympic gold medal, and in a in a completely different boat class. After switching to the cycling, coming back, I mean, that medal must feel really special to you yeah it does um uh, uh and that was part of my you know coming to that it was i guess it's always been just doubling down like whole career like <laughs> keep trying to find the bottom um you know like doing two events in amsterdam or with the doubling up in the other in the cox pier and trying to take on mahe in the single um going to cycling and then when i came back to rowing it's like well okay, taking on the single would have been individually a massive challenge or the biggest challenge, but taking on the eight is a wider, like, organisational... It was it would challenge me in far more aspects, I suppose, mm. you know, like working yeah. with a team, knowing that you're only 12.5% and the harder I work, almost, you know, sometimes the less, yeah, it goes worse. So trying to get the best out of other guys and how you know being part of a group um getting ultimately getting mike and tom involved was the was link you know we I, we wouldn't have won if mike and tom weren't there like yeah. that's mm. that's a given um and you know that the draw a massive satisfaction like it was a risk i i was that was probably my one concern is how um i suppose influential i had been in 
getting Mike and Tom into the pair into the eight when you know they were odds on. They probably would have won a medal. I don't think they would have beaten the Sinkoviches, and I don't think they would have beaten the Sinkovich. I don't think they think they would have beaten the Sinkoviches, but they definitely would have been odds on for a medal in the pair. So to, I felt um, I was, yeah, not concerned. Like that would have been my regret if it hadn't gone the way that I hoped, and I'd potentially cost those guys a medal. Um, that that was probably my one my one worry, but. Um, yeah, I suppose for the benefit of the wider group, um, and, and and it all worked out. So mm, fortunately, uh, fortunately, I didn't have to cross that bridge. Yeah, and it's a bit of a testament. I mean, over like what you and and Eric built in the in the Kiwi team, and and a lot of the other Kiwis. I mean, the Kiwi team has just gone strength to strength. And I mean, you guys gambling. I mean, I said to 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 break is like the balls of uh, New Zealand to go for the eight to put all their chips but it wasn't on the, the balls of New Zealand. that's one of your misnomers it's not the balls of Rome New Zealand yeah. they can you, the campaigning the the uh, yeah the, I felt like well, I was playing on I felt like I was on the set of House of Cards have you watched House of Cards <laughs> yeah the the political maneuvering to get that into yeah. into play yeah to get that to get the eight over the line to get them to send us to switzerland to qualifying to get the peer involved like it was just one thing after another yeah but that's um, what i what i mean as well it's like the just the kind of belief that the the people moving the ship had uh had to put in that decision was gutsy. yeah like i mean, Okay, like they started. I think yeah. Once they felt, I think rowing New Zealand always wants to put the eight out, and ever they would mm. always want to prioritise the eight. But the way that our funding works, it's it's essentially on how many medals are won. So it doesn't make sense to put all your eggs in one basket. Yeah. So I suppose it got to the point where you you looked at it and you're like, well, we probably have an equal chance of getting. Well, arguable a similar chance to getting a medal in the pair in terms of a medal in our whole men's squad or a medal in the eight. Um, and it got to the point where it was enough of an argument to say, well, a medal in the eight is going to be worth far more to this organization, to the country, to everyone involved than like a medal in the pair will be great for Tom and, and Mike. Like that'll vindicate their efforts for the last few years. It'll you know make them feel yes. good about their career. But winning the eight can and it's been like that back here. I mean, unfortunately, as soon as we got back, obviously we did quarantine and then oh, we've yeah, been back into awful. lockdown um, for, we were locked down for a few weeks. So it was a real blow that um, you didn't get that post Olympic sort of glow that we've had in the past, you know, mm -hmm. some of my experiences, because, you know, all of those events, you know, got canned and we haven't been together as a group um, since, since the Olympics because um, you know everyone disappeared to their own part of the country and then basically had to stay yeah. <laughs> stay where they were. Um, so that was a real shame. But uh, hopefully we sort of get to get to. Well, I know there's there's things planned on the horizon. We've got a rowing mm. New Zealand um, sort of reunion-y function in December, so that'll be cool. And um, yeah, there'll be opportunities that come up to sort of celebrate as a group and. Um, yeah, because you more or less did. We had one evening in, in Tokyo where we sort of celebrated as a group and then we were back on a plane back to quarantine by ourselves in the hotel. Yeah. And, 
Yeah, so Man, it, it has been a disappointment it. from that front. I couldn't believe it. And we've tried to avoid the, the COVID talk because everyone the whole yeah, world is a bit yeah, uh, yeah. a bit sick of it. Yeah. But it's I mean, it was a huge part of you guys. I couldn't I couldn't believe that you guys had uh, had lockdown and out for a day back into to lockdowns. It was just oh, that sounded awful. Yeah, it was I mean, I found it difficult. Um so I I actually had a a son and while I was in quarantine in a hotel. Oh, um, so no. missed the birth, missed the birth of my son, which was oh, yeah. Like, I knew that was on yes. the wall. I knew that was going to yeah. happen. So that's third child. So I went from two weeks in a hotel by myself to then lockdown at home with three kids under four. Man, I <laughs> it went from like one extreme, <laughs> one extreme to the other. Um, oh, so that was wild. that was certainly a challenge. So uh, we've gone through a few of our our, our listener questions, and uh, the one big what if that uh, that people really had and, and i think you saw you must have seen it on social media was when you posted the video of you and uh, mahi rowing in the pair and you know eric rowan wanted to know uh what like did you guys ever test that speed in the in the pair and what that pair felt like um no that was just clickbait <laughs> no uh yeah so it just so happened that um yeah we i obviously came back to the sport and Sort of thought, you know, who can be like Mahe's a great resort, like a you know proven talent. It'd be good to have him involved, and he was had obviously been sculling, and I hadn't been doing any rowing, so it made sense just to row a little bit in the pier, just as try and get back up to speed. Him sweep rowing and me just rowing in general, because um, we were both in a similar state. You know, like I couldn't go out and row with the other guys because they were doing twenty odd k, whereas if I I was up to like. 8k was, mm. was about all i could handle physically um so we only did two or three rows and um yeah it wasn't great i i don't know i i, I had no real bearing at that point um because i hadn't rode for three years um but uh i think the biggest issue was mahe was for want of a better term slow around the front <laughs> Um, when I rode in Dow with him, I felt like I could have a cup of tea and a picnic at the catch while I waited for him mm. to put his oar in. Um, but I'm sure if we'd given it time, like it, it would have, it would have gone all right. But like having Eric at sort of 97, 98 kilos in the bow is one thing, but I don't know how it would have gone with, with Mahe at 105. So we, we, um, yeah, we, it would have been, I, I don't know. I don't know. It wasn't, we didn't, we didn't test it. It would have, uh, we, we literally only rode two or three times. I think. Yeah, I think there was a video of it each time, and each time we went out, there was a video on the internet. So that, that was the extent of it. That's really funny. It never got put under pressure, and we never yeah. rode beside anyone. Some things are yeah. best not to know. <laughs> yeah, the world the world would have definitely supported that uh, that crew, no matter what uh, what the speed was like. Yeah. And then oh, I'm looking through the the other questions. Actually, we've answered a lot of them. Zach and Sam asked uh, about trying it out in the single. Amos asked about the the rowing style into the into the eight. Yeah, I think um, we've covered we've covered that. Yeah, we covered the other one. Sam Sam Glenn asked uh, about like readjusting your training when you're coming back into into the group. And I mean, just on that, like coming back into the team must have been such a kind of awesome feeling when you're just being on your bike on your own and you just talk about that uh, that element of when you had that bike crash <laughs> and uh, and and that awful feeling of being alone and then when you get into the eight it must have been like 
completely opposite end of the the spectrum. It must have felt really, really awesome, actually. Um, yeah, it was cool. Definitely been. I mean, the best thing about it was getting back in a boat. Like I first went out on a single, and I was like, oh. I'm comfortable. I know what I'm doing. Whereas I've been riding on the velodrome, just feeling way out of my depth the whole time. And I mm. one rode back first row in three years, and I'm sure it was absolutely rubbish. But I felt like I knew, like I'm home. I know what I'm doing. I'm comfortable. So that was certainly a relief. Um, but in honesty, I'd forgotten how hard it was. Like I, um, I certainly enjoyed the flexibility of cycling training. I could do it in my own time when I wanted. Um, but it was a real challenge getting back into the routine of turning up at a certain time, um, you know, just being with a group. So, mm. and, and just the the regular, like how much time rowing takes. That was, you'd think cycling takes more, but generally you're only doing one session and, you know, like it might be long, but you get out the door at whatever, you know, you're done by lunchtime generally. Yeah. And, and that was a big change getting back into a rowing routine sort of morning night maybe three sessions a day with weights or something um mm. yeah i found that actually really challenging and and also physically i had to i was lucky i had the support of the guys and um the coach and the and the support staff to um yeah it was really on them as it turned out they they um uh yeah they they were almost applying the brakes to me and saying you're just gonna <laughs> blow yourself to pieces because uh, you know once you get into your 30s i mean for me personally yeah I, I probably couldn't handle i didn't do a lot of the sessions um that the guys did uh, i mainly only did morning sessions we had some really great reserves um in seymour in particular who didn't travel to rio was amazing for us like he mm. would just turn up and sit in my seat for zero glory and um yeah, he did a great job um, filling in uh, while I, you know, like I would bike or do different training. I actually didn't even, I'm probably the first person to ever be part of rowing New Zealand. I don't even live in Cambridge at the moment. I live in over by the coast where my wife works. So I was commuting a um, couple of times a week to Cambridge. Uh, so it was a challenge, I guess, logistically, just being there frequent, frequently enough. But I think that that flexibility actually enabled me to get the best out of myself because um, sometimes I didn't need that extra row. Like I was better to uh, um, you know, be on the bike and, and just take a, a lighter session. But I, I, I learned a lot while I was cycling. I learned a lot about myself physically, um, you know, different ways to push myself. And I was able to really bring that into it back when I came into rowing. Like once you've yeah. done, like I used to get much over an hour, like a long session on the water. I'm like, ah, oh, this is dragging on. But once you've done five, six hours on a bike, no rowing session feels long. <laughs> yeah, that's that sounds yeah. like a, a different a different ball, ballpark there. Um, but yeah, so <clears throat> I think moving on to our you know our quick fire questions at at the end of the interview. The first one out the set is. If you could ro- if you could race at any boat class at the Olympic Games, what would it be? Ah, the eight. The eight again. Well, going forwards. Well, I mean, if you Paris. Paris. Um, I, I mean, I would have. Yeah, I would like. Like, I don't think it's realistic at this point, but I would have liked to have tested myself. I guess in the single. Um, so I think the single. The single to me is the ultimate test of you as an individual and the eight is the ultimate test of 
the country and the team um, and the overall, mm. I guess, depth of a program. And and the eight is the most enjoyable. I'm sure it's the most enjoyable if you get it right. And if it goes wrong, it's probably the, the worst place in the world <laughs> to be as well. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure. So the next one is if you could choose any three people from any time, anywhere in the world to row in a, in a four with, uh, who are you choosing? Um, that's pretty easy for me. I think I'll go Eric, me, Drew, James, Tonkins. Okay, that's and, nice. Yeah, like I, I, I respect the British and what they've done, but I think if I were to put out the, the fastest crew, I reckon that would be the way to go. Is that your favorite pair? If you like look at all the other pair races, uh, is is Drew and, and Tompkins your 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 go to? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like we obviously took huge inspiration from what Drew uh, had talked about rowing, and I've had conversations with him mm. beyond, I guess, what his what he's published online. And I think a lot of his philosophies probably stem from what he learned from from James, and that was, I guess. Like that's one thing that I've always looked up to in their program. Well, the benefits that they've had in that program is they've always managed to have those older guys to learn off, to, for the young guys to learn off. Whereas we, that was a challenge for us. Um, we didn't have, we didn't have those goats to, you know, to f- learn from and to mm. pass. The, we had to sort of develop our own path. Um, so yeah, that that would be. I reckon that'd be a bit of a weapon for. Yeah, def- definitely so. And I must say, it's qu- it's uh, refreshing when we asked Eric that question. He basically selected a whole squad of people, <laughs> and then we had to do mock selection, speculative selection for the four to finally get yeah. him down to three rows. Yeah. Um, and then the <clears throat> the next one after that is what's what is your fo- favorite rowing race that you find yourself watching over and over again? Oh, I'll take you a final at the moment. An easy one to go to. Um, yeah, I guess other than that, I suppose probably the Olympic final and the pier. Um, I guess it's just those moments where, you know, you've got to execute. And that's, I guess, the tough thing about our sport is you have that one moment every four years where you've got to turn up. And mm. I've been fortunate, yeah, three of the four times that we – I was in a boat that um, managed to turn up, so mm. uh, and really get out pretty much near the max of our capabilities on that given day, uh, which is mm. the big challenge of of Olympic rowing. And then the next one is: if you're in charge at world rowing, what would you change? Um, yeah, I've. I have thought about this a bit. One thing that I want to see or I would like to see experimented with, I mean, obviously there's a push to reduce numbers at the Olympics of rowing, uh, like in terms of competitor numbers. Mm. Um, And one dynamic that I think we have that no other sport has is the ability for men to row with women. Yeah. And I think that should be played around with because you see even just recently they had the cycling world champs and they had a team time trial from the country where they, I think they have like a relay almost where the men go off and then the women do a time trial and they add, add their scores mm. together. But rowing is a sport where you can have men competing with women and, um, you know, like it's all, it's all fair and it's, it's, it's feasible. Um, yeah, it's very so accessible think, to, to get that right. Yeah, yeah. And I think it brings a really interesting dynamic um, to, the, to the competition and, and training. 
So I think one thing that I'd like to see is some sort of com uh, combination of the whole, if you're looking at reducing numbers, I agree with the whole concept of you have a pair, a single, or like two, you know, a couple of small boats and then everyone has to jump in an eight. Um, but I would double down on that and have um, potential for, say, you have like a men's pair, um, a men's single, you know, something like that, maybe a lightweight if you want to uh, throw them a bone, um, and and same on the women's, and then everyone jumps into a mixed eight. And, oh. like, it's a shame, I guess, you know, like you're losing that legacy of, of um, uh, past past of you know like history but we've got to be dynamic as a sport i think because yeah, you know like we're i think we're we're losing ground internationally and i think you sort of have to think outside the square like if you're if you're not growing what is it like if you're not growing you're dying or you know that's mm, yeah. and um and obviously there's that push towards coastal i'm not a big fan of the sh well i don't mind the shorter distance thing but i think you actually dilute you know, like you look at kayaking and say so they have, you know, all the different distances and um, yes, I think I think you keep it simple. And I like the 2K because if it gets much shorter, I'm not going to be any good. So um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm comfortable with 2K. And yeah. and yeah, a way that I think it could be really shaken up is, is you throw women into the mix. And I think from a spectator point of view, it just adds, adds a really interesting dynamic. You know, like you see an eight mm. coming down and it's like, girl, girl, boy, boy, or girl, boy, girl, boy. Like how so many permutations yeah. that would yeah. have to be worked out. Like what is the ultimate way to boat a mixed day? Um, no, I, raced a, and- I raced a charity event in South Africa where they did a four and they did uh, two girls, two, two guys. It worked actually really well. It was really awesome. I enjoyed that quite yeah, a lot. Yeah. I don't think it takes anything away from the no. experience as an athlete. No, like, you, okay, ultimately a mixed eight is going to go slower than a, a men's eight, but um and it brings way different dynamics. Like imagine doing a season yeah. <laughs> in a mixed eight, like with trying to balance that training and um, yeah. everyone biting their tongues and not wanting to piss off the other sex. Like, man, the <laughs> dynamic is <just> crazy. <laughs> yeah. uh, it would be quite crazy, yeah. Yeah, so it's bad enough when you have a group of guys, like let alone trying to – the combustible nature of um, having girls and guys and for a whole season together. Um, yeah. So that's, I think, if, you, if there's a push to really lower the numbers – and maybe you can keep it somewhat more traditional at World Champs where we're, we're like our own event. But um, I think if there's a big push to reduce numbers in the Olympics, that's I think that's a way to do it is to mm. um, either go mixed events or um, that sort of mixed aggregate where you have, yeah, like you do small boats at the start of the regatta and then a combined mixed eight at the end. I reckon that has a dynamic well, feel about it. And you're one of the one of the only guys that has uh, a doubled up at a regatta, so uh, you'll know it best uh, how that uh, how that goes down. Yeah, it's not; it's really hard, um, and it'd be hard for everyone. <laughs> yeah. But again, it brings to the. It wasn't physically so challenging, but mentally, I found it challenging just having to be up and ready to race pretty much every day. Um, but that would be, you know, if it's the same for everyone, then. Yeah, and, and that brings more to it. Like, do you focus on the small boats and the eights just to throw together? Or you might think, my small boats aren't that good, but we're collectively really good as a unit, so mm. we focus on the eight. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think it's it's um, a way to – and then, you you know, you, you're, all your athletes are all there, and then you have an eights field that's, say, 20 countries deep or something. 
because anyone who wants to yeah. race a bigger boat yeah, has to race a bigger boat or something. Yeah, that's definitely a very good answer. I think that's the first time someone's taken the the, um, the mixed gender approach to to the racing. Yeah. Um. So so past that, Eric. This is um Hamish. This is the come on. This Jake, is the big one. <laughs> <laughs> this is the big one that everyone likes to to know about. I'm interested to see if you've got any faster. But what is your two kilometer PB on the Ergo? What's your What's your uh, Rick? What What have you got down for me? Uh, six. Uh, five forty four. Is that your oh, PB say at about 43, just, 43. 43 is your PB, not too bad. Yeah, yeah, it's 43.8. Under, so under, under 43. 90 kilos still? Because, uh, I mean, that's, that's what makes uh, yeah, it so right flipping on 90. impressive. Yeah. yeah, right on 90. So, um, yeah, with Eric, I was uh, in the four, I was around, I think, 48, 47. And then I think I was with Eric, my best might have been a 45. And yeah, in 2020 in lockdown, we spent like eight weeks on the erg, <laughs> and the pinnacle of it was meant to be a 2k erg. So I, I wasn't sure what the future held at that point. So I was like, okay, this could be the last thing you do. <laughs> so so give it um give it everything you got. So yeah, it was grim. I was in the garage by myself in lockdown, and um, it was yeah probably the hardest erg I've ever done. Yeah, uh, but, sure. Uh, yeah, sure I never. I generally don't try and positive split eggs, but that was yeah, that was one that I positive splitted. So went off hard and just had to fight. We've we've got an ergo PB ladder, and you you fit in. Where do you fit in now? You fit in about fourth fifth behind place. Fifth, fifth, fifth place. place. Yeah, you who's in front of me? You you cut you cut in ahead of Olaf Tufte and Sferi and the Sinkovich brothers, and yeah. then uh, the. The four guys ahead of you are uh, Derek Porter, 42, Eric and Mahi, and then Oli Ziedler, top of the, oh, yeah. the chart. Yeah. So it's no, pretty I'm, good, though. I'm comfortable with that. They've all got yeah. 10 kilos on me. Yeah, yeah they, they definitely do. That's for sure. Um, then the last one is, and this is probably going to be a, an easy one considering the chat, but if you had to go to the, the Olympics in a different sport, uh, which one would you choose? Yeah, like my family, my in-laws have seriously analysed this for me and we've all come to the conclusion <laughs> that I've exhausted my potential for for Olympic success. It was either going to be cycling or rowing. There's nothing left. So, <laughs> like I really wanted to do the time trial at the Olympics. That was my goal um, while I was cycling. Um, and, and I like a top 10, that was sort of what I was loosely targeting but um, yeah, I don't think I would have got there, especially not on the Tokyo course, which was ultimately very hilly and not suited suited to a rider of my size. Mm. Yeah, well, so I think that no, I've yeah, I got one more one more quick question. Is you know you spoke about the crash diet to to get down to to weight for cycling, and then you had to put all that weight back on, and we saw some diabolical rice smoothies that you were that you were making and uh, and posting up and and first of all that looked disgusting and did it uh, do the job and did you you manage to to get up to weight as, as quickly as you went down um yeah like faster uh, putting on weights a lot easier than taking it off um, <laughs> yeah it didn't take me long um i to be honest i'd gradually when i was on the track weight is far less of a component so when i made the switch back to rowing i was already probably 83 84 kilos like i was only five kilos i guess 
um, below weight. And then actually for the, most of my time in the eight, I was probably more like 91, 92, um, even a little bit heavier sometimes. Um, and I put that down to probably we didn't do weights, as Eric's spoken about. We didn't really do weights when we were in the pier. Um, mm. So we, weight training was a far bigger component of what we did in the eight. So I think I was more well-rounded and probably carrying a bit of weight in my ass and a few other areas where rowers don't typically carry weight. <laughs> and um, yeah, so, and also, yeah, just a little bit heavier. And I, I was a strategic decision as well because I sort of, yeah, had tended to get injured a bit. So it was a decision to just set a couple of kilos heavier to, to help balance that out. So it didn't take long at all. And the rice smoothies, that, that wasn't really about holding weight. That's just about energy. So the um, I learned a lot more about um, macros and micros uh, in terms of cycling. Obviously, when you're losing weight, it's you start to really work out what you're putting in your body and what it's mm. going to do and what what it, how it works for you. Um, so we were doing, at that point, we were doing like quite a long bike, like a three-hour bike after a row. And the other guys, would, you know, they just wanted to get it all done. So you get off the water and they're saying, oh, look, should we start this ride in like 45 minutes? I'm like, no, no way. I cannot, A, I have to recover fuel from my, from the row and then I have to fuel because I know like the fuel it takes to ride effectively for three hours. I, I can't get that down. Mm. Um, but they're just going out and just having miserable three hour rides where they're just creeping at 20 Ks an hour, just completely run out of energy. Um, so there, a, a way like that rice smoothie, that was a way to get a shit ton of carbs down in a short space of time. Mm. And yeah, you feel a bit heavy for the first half an hour, but then you are lighting it up. You're full glycogen. You're, you're, you're ready to go. Nice. Oh, there we go. Well, that's a wrap. Yeah. Thanks so much. Awesome. What an absolute cool. legend. And thanks for a huge chunk, chunk of time. I mean, that's a, that's a big chunk that's of right. your morning. So thank you. Oh, no, I didn't much. have much on. Yeah. I'm not going to do many podcasts, so I thought I'd, I'd do it properly. Yeah, that's the one thing that actually, I mean, it does, that thing, the quarantine does help us to a certain extent because obviously it's uh, probably the perfect medium for interacting with athletes during this yeah. difficult time is actually chatting to them yeah. on a podcast. That's why we've had so many Kiwis on because the Kiwis are just living lockdown these days. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's funny how we've all reversed. You know, like in the middle of the year, we were all like, yeah, we have stadiums full of people. We're the champions of the world. And now it's um, it's all reversed back the other way. Now we're fucking all locked up. But mm. um, it's just because, you know, like probably, I don't know if what you got, but our health system's just so fucking bare bones that if we mm. get a breakout, we're doing a, the health system's going to fall apart in five seconds. We so are we really had this, kind of on the rocks, so it's like, yeah. you know. Yeah, like our health system really, really survives bones. in the best of times. Yeah, we're yeah. the same. We hold up this ideal of being this first world fucking utopia, but the reality is a little bit different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I think, you know, overall that was, that was awesome. And yeah, Hamish, I think congratulations on a fucking brilliant performance in, in Tokyo and I don't know what your plans are for the future, but congrats on your, your own career. It's been, you know, it's been an absolute pleasure to, to see you uh, destroyed in the pair and then obviously going on to, to Tokyo and take the golden and eight there. Yeah. No, I mean, I've just been, I don't know. I'm not religious, but I'll say I'm blessed. <laughs> I don't know. There's no other way to, 
yeah, it's just, just gone right a lot of the time. Yeah. I mean, I know, yeah, you make your own luck, but that's kind of what it feels like if people ask, like, well, what's, what's been the key? And I go, oh, fuck, I don't know. Mm. Just, awesome I've just been able to identify the right fork in the road and the right path and, and working hard. So been lucky yeah well it's it's been awesome, awesome. and uh and thanks for coming on the show i mean uh this is going to be a huge episode for us yeah no worries sounds good awesome cheers cheers hamish no have, a, have a good day and then yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll let you know when the episode goes up yeah what's the time there you must be bedtime yeah yeah hop is 11 yeah, it's 20 past oh, 20 okay. past sure. 11 get to bed yeah no, Sweet. no worries <laughs> all right awesome cheers, guys. thanks hey ciao cheers. awesome stuff Cool. So that is a wrap for Hamish Bond part two. And man, what a roller coaster ride that was. And I know, Jake, that there was such wisdom going on in the eight there. But what I also really enjoyed was our quick fire questions. Uh, I, always, I always love the quick fire questions. I always think they bring out such different responses from everyone. And even though you kind of know what's coming sometimes, it's, it's really great. And I love the fact that we have the, um, ergo ladder on uh these days yeah. you know to be able to tell someone where they sit is is quite uh quite fascinating yeah for sure and i think you know for me just the the story of him getting back in the boat for for tokyo and the incredible achievement that they got managed to get there in and winning the eighth race in that that final i think the the the, the conversation we had a lot around that was definitely you know the takeaway for me um but that's a wrap for hamish bond part two and uh, one incredible incredible chat for sure. That was awesome. I'm sure you enjoyed it a lot. Go and check out World Masters if you haven't yet. Um, World Masters 2023, Ritterplot Dam. This is where me and Jake have probably spent majority of our lives. Uh, we've been training on that water um, basically since I was uh, 12 years old, 13 years old. I've been uh, going out to Ritterplot and, and training on that venue. So it's really, really awesome. The first time in my lifetime that we that I'm seeing a world rowing event getting hosted in South Africa. So that's pretty exciting. And yeah, it'll be really, really awesome to, to see some of you, you out here. So go check it out. Go look at the, what else you can do in South Africa, because I think it's definitely a trip worth, uh, worth making, you know, if you can split it into the actual racing, which I think will be such an incredible event by itself. You know, we have uh, some really quality people on the team that are planning the, planning the, the regatta. And then also go check out the rest of the country. You know, there's uh, some awesome mountains. There's the bush. There's the the, the wildlife that we, we have in South Africa. And then also the Cape and Cape Town. So you can really make a round trip and, and see it all. I would do that. A hundred percent, guys. Go check that out. And, you know, Lawrence and I will be there. It'll be great to uh, engage with uh, the rowers and hopefully some of the listeners too. But besides that, it's been awesome. Stay tuned for the next episode coming out. And uh, yeah, who we got been, next, Jake? Who have we got next? Uh, it's going to be a uh, a big uh, legend from Great Britain, Greg Soul. Oh, Greg Soul, that is going to be a banger. Um, yeah, maybe we'll sneak in uh, who our next episodes are at the end of uh, each episode. If you really want to know, then you can hang around, mm. listen to the end. Um, but I think without that, I think that's enough, Jake. Go share the show, tell a friend, support us on Patreon. Sweet. We're out. Cheers, guys.
ladies and gentlemen, have you checked out the you know the World Rowing Masters Championship that's being held in 2023? And this time round is a bit special. It's a, it's heading close to home for uh, Lawrence and myself, and it's being hosted in South Africa. So we encourage you guys to check it out. Um, you know, we've partnered we've partnered with the event to to help organize it. And oh fuck, no, hold on, that's wrong. Let me start that again. Um, we're out. We're out. No, this is the intro to part two, hey? Yeah, sorry. I'll just so leave that. I'll just cut the, just leave the that fact out. that we're out. Yeah. yeah. Enjoy. Enjoy, guys. <laughs>